listening to episode seven of the Down on the Farm podcast. I'm your host, Brian Grosnick. The Down on the Farm podcast is a companion to the Down on the Farm newsletter available for subscription on Substack, where we cover all things minor league baseball with a professional data-driven point of view. Uh, Today's guest is a really special one. It's David Girth of Down on the Farm. He's uh, one of our contributors at the site and the newsletter, and I'm really excited to get to talk to him on the show to learn a little bit about him what he's been working on for the site, what he's going to work on for the site, and just kind of like, David, your your thoughts on baseball. How's how's it going today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, yeah, no problem. It's really exciting because, you know, we haven't spoken, uh, you know, live together, although we've been working together for uh, a couple of months now. So I'm really excited to get to know a little bit more about you. We'll end up talking a little bit more about the um, the site and and what we do at the site as part of this. So uh, spoiler alert for everybody else coming on there. It's uh, it's a little bit of a sell for our newsletter, but at the same time, I want to talk a little bit about your background. What brought you into baseball analysis and uh, and how you kind of came to this point to uh, contribute to uh, Down on the Farm? Yeah, so um, I guess growing up, uh, I my family just loves going to minor league baseball games. We've probably averaged, I don't know, five or ten a year, uh, always a couple on family vacations. And, uh, you know, I was like getting autographs and stuff like that. Um, I got Trey Turner one year. Um, my brother's a bit more persistent. He got Vladdy and, and Fernando Tatis. So oh, awesome. But yeah, so so that was what really planted the seeds. And then sort of reading, um, there's a book on this scout named Tony Lucadello that I really just uh, loved. Uh, but my first like little gig in baseball was uh, I was reading this draft blog called the, the Baseball Draft Report. And um, I don't know, one of the blog posts, uh, the owner of this, Evansville Otters, which is an independent ball team in uh, Frontier League. He was uh, looking for help um, for undrafted free agents. And uh, I just thought I could do it. I was like, you know, I was, uh, I was going into my senior high school. So it was summer break, I had nothing else going on. And so I emailed their like PR persons. I don't know. I was like, hey, your, your owner's looking for help uh, scouting or recommending these uh, undrafted free agents. And uh, I think I could do that. And so uh, I reached out to him, um, sent in my list. Uh, then over the past few years, uh, I kind of stopped now, but got a few of my players signed. Um, kind of the way Andy Ball works really is whoever the manager wants to sign, that's who's going to sign. And, and rightfully so, uh, Andy McCauley is a really good manager. But um, I always like to say helped a little bit. But um, yeah, then in college, I did a bunch of scouting, um, just in-person stuff. But really, that's when I started getting more into the analytical side of the game. Um, started, I taught myself how to program. Um, I have a math degree. Uh, I just like math in general, but, um, I ended up doing the 2021 Sabre Analytics Conference, which was a lot of fun. It was virtual. So it's kind of a bummer. You didn't get to meet anyone, but, uh, I gave a presentation on, um, sort of a draft signing bonuses and, um, it, you know, was a really nice, uh, event. Um, and then sort of had a bunch of stuff on the side that I was I guess kind of publishing on my own blog that had no readers. And, but I was reading this blog, you know, down on the farm, I was a subscriber. And so um, when I saw that uh, um, Josh was looking for new contributors after Scott left, I just sort of threw my hat in the ring and I guess here I am. Well, I mean, that's, that's a really cool story to kind of work your way up from actually doing some scouting in, in indie ball to, you know, kind of teaching yourself how to 
program a little bit on the side and you know your math degree so it sounds like you kind of have a broad and varied background um i don't know if if you're in the same position i'm in did you ever play much in high school or, or even little league or not really that much of a uh, uh participant so i i played a i played a bunch i played my freshman year i wasn't a the high school team but I, I really played my like uh my summer ball team was really what i played for uh i for some reason i just our my senior class or my class had just a I was only a pitcher I was a sidearm I, just a ton of great pitchers um one guy uh, got drafted last year um, oh, cool. out of Connecticut but uh I was in band in high school so uh that was the uh that was uh what I was into uh as well as baseball so cool so you developed these skills the scouting skill the data analytics kind of skill and now you've practiced it you've honed it and now you're here at um, you know, down on the farm and sharing a lot of really cool insights. So there's, it, it's a neat combination that you have. So you have your scouting background and you have your analytics background. And fortunately at the site, you know, you've been able to do a little bit of both there. So a lot of what we do at the site, we kind of have like three main areas of focus that we're doing. We have our daily reports, which have all sorts of information about the day's minor league games. And that's definitely something that you've contributed to that I contributed to where we support, you know, all this data that comes out of each day's minor league games, but then also do a little bit of reports on some of the different players or some of the different events that happen during the game. I think that's really the calling card of the site right now. Um, how's it been trying to like cover the games and the events uh, for down on the farm? And like, what have you gotten out of that process so far? Yeah. I mean, for me, the biggest thing is it might sound odd, but just it, it's gotten me a lot more familiar with minor league ball in general. Mm-hmm. So like, in college, I was really focused on the draft, and so I like knew all these like random high school players and stuff like that. And and now I'm doing way less of that, and I'm just I'm obviously focusing more on the minor leagues here. So for me, beneficially going through all those box scores and one by one, and it's really been beneficial just to get a feel for you know how where these guys are hitting in the lineup, or you know not that that matters a whole lot, but just how each organization, you know, wants to let their starters go, uh, you know, like where are they putting their draft picks, right? So like Kate Horton, I think I've written about, I think you've written about like, you know, he's in a ball right now in Myrtle mm-hmm. beach. And like, you know, he's the seventh overall pick out of college. Like most of these guys get promoted a bit faster, but you know, so stuff like that, just being able to go through those daily box scores, you're able to sort of, you know, get a feel for how each organization wants to operate, I guess. Well, that kind of dovetails into something that I know you've been working on, and we can talk a little bit about it, even though it's not published yet on the site. But I know one of the things you've been interested in is trying to identify and kind of like create some sort of taxonomy for organizational offensive styles, um, how different organizations approach hitting and their offensive environments um, and, and kind of clubbing them into some different groups. And I've already seen some of the research, but maybe we can give our listeners a little sneak preview as to what you found out as you've started to dive into what teams, um, what minor league teams are kind of doing the same sorts of things based on some of the data that you're seeing or some different sort of things. Maybe we could just kind of spoil a little bit of what that's going to look like in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, it's it's sort of tricky. I mean, really, you know, the hard part is like separating yeah, just, just trying to figure out, like, how each team, you know, which teams want to be power built, which teams want to be speed built, all that sort of stuff. Um, you know, it's, it's sort of tricky to, to separate, like, um, 
skill versus like I, I, don't, I don't know how to put it, but like just generally, you know, who you're acquiring, I guess. So like, you know, if you get a bunch of first round picks and they're all power hitters, you know, you're gonna have this like power hitting bias, but it's it's not if the rest of your organization is sort of contact hitters, it can be just hard to separate um, what's meaningful versus what's not, I guess. it's It's been sort of a tricky uh, project here. So I think it sounds like kind of what you're saying is that, like, you know, you'll have some minor league teams that just through the vagaries of how the team is being built, they may lean a little bit more on that power dimension and a little bit away from, like, say, potentially speed or patience or one of these other dimensions. And sometimes it seems like it might be because of an organizational bent, like, um, you know, say a team like the Royals might be um, trying to prioritize speed a little bit, or a team like the Astros might be trying to prioritize contact um, for a little while. But it sounds like, you know, sometimes they'll just draft guys who don't really fit the mold and it'll pop up that way in kind of one of the, uh, one of their minor league um, affiliates. And, and that might a little bit skew some of this data that we've got. For sure. And, and, you know, like, I mean, at the end of the day, like the draft, you know, we'll just use the draft, for example. It's like, you just want to sort of maximize your value. Not necessarily, I mean, to a certain degree, you want to sort of line up with your player development, but like, you know, in situations where like, you know, a guy like Cleo Watson, you know, who could have been like a top five pick, you know, he falls to 15 with the Marlins. Like, yeah, he might not fit whatever org style you're looking for, but like, you know, that's going to be great value, even though he doesn't done all that well but you know so it's it's hard to figure that stuff out but um yeah hopefully get a uh hopefully get a figure out at some point yeah well and i think it's just you know even if it's not super super like efficient as a tool to try to like identify hard and fast data about these different franchises it could definitely be something that's interesting to look at and i i think over time if you see some certain patterns start to form or if you know you take this data back to i know you've been looking like 2018 ish i think for the data but if you look at it now over like a 10 year span or 15 year span and you see a long-term trend or something like that then you maybe have something that you can really like you know use or or work with i i think that there's also some like manipulation or some management of the data that you have to do based on like offensive environments like you know as we've seen in the first part of the the minor league season like you know triple a everything is playing up with like a lot of power whereas in like low a or at least the florida state league there's some like crazy um pitcher friendly uh results coming out so i think that that'll kind of play a little bit in some of these things especially when we're talking to control for power but i think there's a lot that you could eventually do with this it's just fun to actually see the data because this isn't this isn't something that i think we talk about a lot or something that we look at a lot i think sometimes from a scouting perspective we say okay like you look at a team like the guardians and they're constantly adding velocity to their pitchers or some other organizations are like teaching everybody a cutter and, Mm -hmm. and you can see some of that sometimes, but I think for hitting it's, it's not as easily visible. Yeah, I would, I would definitely agree with that. So that was one article that you've got coming up. Um, Let's talk a little bit more about some of the other kind of analytics focused articles that you've been working on over at the site. Um, I definitely think that one that was really super interesting, at least to me, was your minor league park factors. Um, And you did a couple of pieces around those minor league park factors. So do you want to talk a little bit about um, how you brought those over to the site, what kind of methodology you used and um, what that kind of taught you about maybe the process, but also maybe what it taught you about how these um, these minor league players park factors are, are kind of influencing what they're doing. Yeah, for sure. So, um, yeah, so thankfully we have all this play-by-play data. Um, and, 
yeah, so so basically, the model I estimated, you know, it's not a, it's not, you know, we don't have the stat cast data and all that stuff, so you're you're sort of limited in that sense. But basically, you know, just forecasting, um, you know, if, if some batter, or not forecasting, but just you know, saying if if a batter, you know, gets a hit here, sort of what's uh, the probability that it's going to be a single, a double, a triple, um, or a home run. And then adding um, what's called a, a random effect um, for park factor, and, and sort of what that does is just um, it gives each um, minor league park a like um, its own sort of coefficient. So some parks, like you mentioned in the Forest State League, are obviously really uh, pitcher friendly, so that's going to sort of lower the value, and, and for other parks, it's going to up the value. Those parks out in the West for sure, but um, yeah, so so you know those are um sort of you know it's not like groundbreaking or anything but it is something where it's just like i i do i'm sort of a nut about this where i just like to normalize all the data and you know you got to sort of um you sort of have to do that with these parks because they're all all different um you know and, and there's even there's a there's always this tricky thing right where you could have like 20 different variables in your regression and you can sort of not overfit but it's, it just becomes less or it just becomes trickier um so i just had sort of a, a smaller um, regression with just that park but um you know obviously some parks are better for righties some parks are better for lefties you know um there's there's way more you know granularities you can get into but um just for this stuff i just wanted to look at sort of what's our what's our base level park factor here yeah, and I thought it was interesting because, um, you know, everybody is going to be most interested in the top prospect guys. And so I think that was really kind of telling when we got into some of the winners and losers article that you talked about. You talked about how some of these um, top prospects that have really come out this year, um, Corbin Carroll had a huge park factor effect. Jordan Walker had a huge park factor effect. I mean, comparatively um, from their OPS to what your park factor OPS was. Um, the guy that jumped out to me the most was Pete Crow Armstrong of the Cubs. Um, his park factors actually repressing a little bit of his offensive ability, which when you look at the other combination of skills that he has, I feel like if you have these small shifts in overall offensive capability, when it's a guy like Crow Armstrong, who is, you know, a plus defender and a really good, um, base runner and can do some other things. I think that can mean a lot that his, you know, maybe we, we really do want to bump him up a, a slot or two on the prospect rankings or really get excited about him coming up, you know, even in addition to the already great prospect pedigree, it's looking like, you know, maybe his park factor is really not helping him a little bit. Maybe there's even more to like there. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, to a certain degree, uh, yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. And he's definitely made some, you know, real changes since his amateur days for sure. And, oh yeah, you know, I, I just, you know, it's one of those things where, um, you know, not everyone has access to play-by-play data or whatever. So, you know, I certainly don't fault anyone for just putting raw numbers and obviously it's way easier, but, um, you know, when we want to sort of look at this a bit more granular or whatever, you know, it is sort of good practice to sort of, you know, adjust um, by what part they're in, you know, sort of also, you know, the league adjustment in general and, and then, you know, like, like, it's like, you know, like we see, it's not like this huge shift where, you know, suddenly he goes from this like below average hitter to above average hitter or anything crazy like that. It's just, 
you know, it does provide more context as a workplace. One of the other pieces that we've seen recently is about the stabilization rates that you uh, posted about um, looking at minor league stabilization rates. You used a slightly different methodology than some folks have used in the past, but but not too different um, for to to create stabilization rates for the major leagues. And then you went ahead and tried to apply this to minor league, um, the different levels, single A, high A, double A, and triple A, to find out when some offensive statistics start to stabilize. And I think the ones that jump out the most are probably, you know, strikeout rate and walk rate. But there are plenty of these that it's good to know at the beginning of the season, is this likely to be a change in actual, you know, talent level, skill level? Is there something shifting there? Or is it just the kind of the vagaries of this is um, early in the season and it's a small sample and we have to be able to address the level of uncertainty in a small sample size? So tell me a little bit more about the process that you went through to go and develop these um, stabilization rates, how it's a little bit different from what's been done in the past, and then kind of what you what you learned going through this process. Yeah, for sure. So, um, you know, I, I think there's been a lot of different ways to do this. Um, but the one that I took was uh, from this guy, um, Kostya uh, Metal. It's, it's a hard name to say, but he's the creator of Darko um, in the NBA, if you some listeners may know what that is, but yeah, he just basically kind of gave this methodology of how to incorporate um, sort of this, incorporate what the player's done so far and then mix in a bit of whatever league average, strikeout rate, walk rate, whatever you're looking for, and sort of um, through uh, sort of an optimization process, find the number of plate appearances it takes for this to... um, sort of stabilize in a certain sense. Now, I mean, I think, I think you've noted as well, like, you know, once a player hits, you know, say 72 appearances in, you know, an A ball or whatever, that doesn't suddenly mean that his striker rate went from completely unreliable to perfectly reliable now. Like that's, you know, it's, it's just, this is just a way to sort of add in some regression to the mean and, you know, regressing to the mean but like um you know it just matters more at different points of the year than others right so once you had 500 plate appearances the league average doesn't matter as much than when you've only had maybe five and so really that's that's sort of the um emphasis or, or what we wanted to what i wanted to do is sort of you know i wasn't really sure you know how long it takes for something in the minor leagues to sort of um get to a reasonable level and um and so that was sort of what I, yeah, it's just sort of what I was interested in. And, and sort of the nice thing with that methodology too is that it's, it, it's um, you, you can do it at any point in the season. Um, basically. So if, if you go read the article, this would explain a bit more, but um, basically all you have to do is just, you know, take whatever your, your stabilization value is um, and then whatever the, the league average strikeout rate or, or walk rate or again, whatever set you're looking at and um, you just, Sort of follow that formula, and it gives you the adjusted strikeout rate. It's, it's pretty simple, and um, yeah, I guess that's what I like about it is that it's not overly binary or anything like that. It's just sort of adjusting things. Yeah, and I'm especially interested in the tack you took for minor league stabilization rates because we've heard a lot about stabilization rates in the major leagues over the last you know several years in the in the sabermetric and kind of analytics community. 
But with minor league players, you kind of expect more changes. You expect more variance. You expect that players are going to develop in different ways than players who are already at the major league level, I think. Like, you know, for example, talking about stabilization rates in like high A, that's a point where a lot of times you see players make jumps or regress a little bit or, you know, differentiate themselves when you have a guy coming out of the complex and into low A. It's a lot different um, for, for stat perspective, but also from like a pure talent and skill perspective to see how those players change. And so the fact that stabilization rates are, are roughly similar to where they are in the major leagues was kind of enlightening to me to see that it's not a massive difference in the different levels based on the stabilization rates, at least, even though you have maybe younger players whose skills are developing a little bit differently, or you have players who are less, um, experienced in a particular league. So that was kind of an interesting takeaway that I took beyond just the, the statistical side of it, of what you were doing yeah. in the actual article itself. No, I, I, I definitely agree with that. I was sort of surprised as well, but yeah, I would agree. So um, let's switch over to the scouting side a little bit. And mm -hmm. I know that you have a little bit of experience with, um, you know, player evaluation. And one of the other things we do out down on the farm is pretty often we do prospect spotlights. Now, with my skill set, I'm not quite the hands-on prospect evaluator that plenty of others who cover minor league baseball are. So my prospect spotlights tend to be kind of collation of information, talking to different people and trying to bring that information together to a reasonable perspective for our readers. You're able to take a little bit of a different approach because you can actually you know, do some evaluation of your own on video and stuff. So I want to call back to a couple of the spotlights that are that have been published already on the site. And I think the first one that's going to be good to cover is today, the uh, Diamondbacks uh, designated Madison Bumgarner for assignment. And so the thought process there is after his long and uh, um, quite extensive Major League Baseball career, he's going to be moving out of a regular role with the Diamondbacks. They're going to have to fill that role. And it looks like the guy who's, um, you know, next man up there is going to be Brandon Fott. And you did a prospect spotlight on him uh, back in March. Kind of as a side note, it's been a weird week for us on Prospect Spotlights because um, I did Mason Miller and Brain Rocchio, and both those guys just came up uh, right like this week and now fought looking like he might be the next man up. So anyway, tell me a little bit more about what you uh, saw when you are uh, looking at Brandon Fott and his, uh, his kind of expectations for maybe stepping into that Arizona rotation. Right, yeah. No, it's been a, definitely been a, a good week for uh, Prospect Spotlights on um... – uh, lower college arms. I basically yeah, like, really. <laughs> thought it was D two at the time, um, but uh, yeah, no. I mean, he's he's really uh, he's really an exciting pitcher, right? Um, just sort of has that prototypical starting pitcher frame, uh, but then just really deep repertoire and, and sort of uh, these are always have been always been the guys that I really like. He throws from that flatter or lower release height. Um, even though he's, you know, sort of bigger at six four, whatever, he he really gets some ride up in the zone um, just based on that um, sort of flatter angle he throws. But yeah, really, um, you know, it's it's just he just has a really deep pitch mix, and we saw it in spring training. We saw him. I mean, maybe that's probably the first time maybe some people have seen him, but you know, he just carved the minor leagues, like you know, and 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 that's a pretty deep system they had there not may not deep is the word but they've had a bunch of other you know high selections and 
and thought has done probably better than all of them. So it's, it's been impressive to see uh, him kind of go through that organization. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of fun because like you said, he's um, a, a D2 guy. He didn't have a lot of heat. Uh, he didn't have a lot of heat. I felt like um, yeah. in the prospect community until kind of more recently. And he's just been so successful um, yeah. in the minors. And then, yeah, like, like you mentioned, spring training, I think was kind of his coming out party and all the fantasy guys started, um, you know, locking him into their dynasty teams and doing those, those right. kind of drafts. And now it looks like he's going to be real effective. Um, you know, if he can keep up the fact that he's got a four pitch mix is super interesting. I agree with you there. And he seems to use yeah. them all, which is really yeah. good. Um, and it'll be interesting to see if he really does anything different now that he's going to be called up to the majors, if they're going to try to adjust his pitch mix, if they'll, try to lean off his um his curveball or something like that but I, I it'd be really fun if he if he kind of sticks as a four pitch guy yeah i was just gonna say just another point from him going from college to pro uh, he used to be more of a sinker baller and now he's sort of gone to that four seam so um yeah you know that's sort of an interesting uh and are there any of the other um you know prospect spotlights that you've gotten to do that you were really excited about i know you've covered a, a couple of different guys you did a group post on cubs outfielders we've gotten some of the other but who were, who were some of the the guys that really stuck out to you or, or something you really liked from working through this process yeah i guess um chase mcdermott for me was um sort of a really instructional uh just evaluation for me personally and he, i've seen him flourish now it's been interesting but you know, I, I, so I saw him quite a bit. Um, I saw him in his draft year. So I saw him the summer before probably twice and, and the, uh, then his spring and, and now seeing him video in the minor leagues, but um, seeing him live in person, you know, uh, it was one of those guys who's like, you know, this is a really exciting fastball. He sort of has a lot of those analytical traits that you sort of look for and um, all that, the sort of, you know, carrying fastball and, 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 but, Again, sort of, you know, he, in, in great spin rates on the curveball and all that stuff. But, you know, from a from a visual perspective, you know, he was spiking a ton of curveballs and was just super inconsistent, and, and especially command-wise as well. Um, you know, good feel for the fastball, but just really poor feel for his curveball. And and um, I was pretty low on him in the draft coming out that year. But, um, you know, sort of every year I try to do like a bit of a uh, – I guess recap of my evaluations and, and try to like separate, you know, stats or whatever from just, did I have a good evaluation process here? And um, I kind of felt like I just didn't really, I, I, I felt like I just was honing in on sort of the wrong things and you, you can sort of get locked in all oh, this guy's not going to be a starter. So he's not going to be valuable, but it's like, you look at what he's doing now and it's pretty impressive even if it does come out of the bullpen this guy's you know going to definitely be um i mean it looks to be a mid middle of the bullpen or upper you know closer type role potentially and, and so for me that you know chase mcdermott seeing him how he's developed over the course of the year uh his pro career has been uh really instructive as to how to evaluate players in the future so for him, or for, for me, seeing him um, do well has been, or not even just well, but just seeing what he does and sort of how my evaluation process has changed has been um, just, it's just, he's been a, uh, someone I just keep in the back of my mind. Yeah, it would be really interesting to see if he does, um, you know, stay in a relief role or, or kind of move to that space. 
as a guy with two like you know pretty solid breaking balls especially when that curveball is is able to be located a little bit it would be really interesting to see because i think that would be a very very different look out of the bullpen whereas most guys only throw one breaker out of the bullpen that would be a pretty cool thing to see um and goodness knows the the athletics the the orioles don't need another um you know high-end bullpen arm at this point but yeah good for them no it's uh he's he's uh i mean you know that's sort of a a classic model pick right you know the the astros got him in the uh fourth round i want to say and um sort of you know got shuffled to another analytically driven organization so you know it's clear he when the smart teams are wanting these guys you know it's, it's you sort of have to pay attention yeah, I mean that kind of goes back to the uh, the Ben Heller conversation we had last or, or two weeks mm-hmm. ago. Uh, if he's constantly being sought after by the Guardians and the Rays and you know teams with uh, a strong analytic background, you know you kind of got to figure something something's up there. There might be something worth uh, exploring yeah, with sure. the profile. So I think we'll go ahead and, and end things here. I'm really excited that we got to talk. I'm really excited for your future articles over at Down on the Farm. So before I let you go, do you want to um, plug any of your other things you've got going on beyond Down on the Farm, your socials, anything like that? Oh, uh, geez. I have a Twitter account. It's dgirth, either 513 or 135. Oh, 1305. So I guess follow me there. I'm not super active, but. As, uh, yeah. It shows that you're a wise man. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, yeah. And then obviously subscribe to Down on the Farm. Yeah. I mean, this is, uh, of course, you know, it's another hard sell for the uh, for the uh, the newsletter, which I think is going really well right now. We're putting out a lot of great content. And if you haven't familiarized yourself with the uh, the daily kind of the rundown or the the graphs and the results that we do on the site, I mean, that in and of itself, I think, is a pretty good value. But then mm-hmm. when you add David's... Um, you know, kind of statistical analysis, his um, prospect evaluation looks. We got Drew also on the site yeah. who's doing a lot on the analytics side of things. He's been a great addition. And then, you know, occasionally you'll get something from me as well. So that's that's a nice combination of things for anybody who's uh, really looking to learn more about minor league baseball, or if you're just interested in kind of some of the data anal- analysis stuff right now, um, having both Drew and David on our team is a really powerful combination. So I would I would advise you all to check it out. Well, all right. Well, um, thank you very much for listening to this episode. This has been the Down on the Farm podcast. For more great minor league baseball content, scores, prospect profiles, data, metrics, daily updates on the slate of minor league baseball games, all those things we just talked about, you can go visit us on downonthefarm.substack.com. We're on Twitter. We probably shouldn't be, but at Down on the Farm 12. We're also now on Substack Notes. Um, I believe you can uh, find us there as well. Um, subscriptions are available at both monthly and annual rates. We're very affordable, about $40 a month, uh, $40 a month. That actually wouldn't be affordable at all. We're very affordable. We're at $40 per year. Um, so if you want to keep on the cutting edge of minor league baseball research and analysis, please come go ahead and give us a free or a uh, paid subscription. Stop by your podcast provider if you enjoyed the show and subscribe to the podcast. And please don't forget to rate and review us with a five-star rating if you enjoyed it. For David, I'm Brian. Have a great afternoon.